Hey, and welcome to The Hopitarian Show. I am Shane. You can follow me on Twitter at The Hopitarian. Please subscribe to our YouTube, Odyssey, and Bitchu channels. And also, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes for our show if you do enjoy this. And if you write a review, please tell us how much you love the Hapa Ethno State. That will really help us out a lot. My guest today is Joshua Ferguson. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, so for those who are not familiar with you and your work, uh, tell a uh, tell the people a little about yourself. So I am mostly a malcontent. That's what we call ourselves locally in local politics. Uh, I took a break from it for a while, but I do local political news dealing with my city, county, what have you. And then I have an, a podcast, much like every libertarian that exists ever in the history of ever. Uh, known as the hourly struggle. It's mostly on YouTube and I spend more of my time over on TikTok because there aren't that many libertarians over there. So yeah, just trying to talk about various issues and explain liberty a little bit more to people who may not be used to it. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about TikTok and how that whole uh, TikTok algorithm works. And can you kind of explain that? Because, yeah, like you said, there aren't a lot, uh, as far as I know, and as far as you know, probably that, like you said, there aren't a lot of libertarians or those people <laughs> on TikTok. So, like, I was basically saying, well, I think a lot of them believe, and I don't know if it's true or not, I have no idea, but they think it's a Chinese psyop and they think, oh, China is, this, you know, China is the, the boogeyman. They're using TikTok to kind of manipulate us, whatever. And again, what do I know? I have no idea. But so, so like, what's your experience on that? Okay, so I started using TikTok for no other reason than I wasn't getting traction on other platforms because, and this is this is sort of the rebuttal to that. So I hear that from libertarians often where they'll say things like, oh, well, it's just a dancing app or it's just, it's a Chinese psyop to keep us stupid or whatever. I'm like, yes, so is Facebook. You know, so, so is YouTube. So is Instagram. Like, they're all that. And the difference between the Chinese government possibly spying on you versus the NSA is immaterial to me, unless you're, you know, Uncle Ted or somebody, you probably shouldn't be worrying about it too much. And so you have this issue where if you want to get more viewers, want to get more growth, want to spread the message of liberty, you go to places that people are paying attention. You go to where the audience is. And I was on Twitter and didn't have a huge following on that. Facebook had yeeted my platform. I was getting my, my own followers weren't seeing my content. I wasn't growing on YouTube. And I have a very small channel. I mean, my YouTube channel is really, really is very small because I don't use it a lot. And when I went to TikTok, I went from zero to 50,000 followers in a relatively short amount of time, which gained me over 100% growth on my YouTube channel, despite posting nothing on YouTube. So people were interested enough in what I was saying there to follow me down channel to other things and ask for more longer content and more, th and, and more data, more points, more whatever. And that's what you should be doing if you're trying to spread the message of liberty is find the platform that works for you. The TikTok algorithm is super weird and it changes like every other algorithm, every other system, but it will it feeds your content. I'll give you actually a really good, good example if, I can, if, if this makes sense. It's the opposite of what Instagram was. And what I mean by that is on Instagram, you couldn't share, you could like private message it, but there was no way to share someone's post. So like Twitter has the retweet or quote retweet. Uh, Facebook, you could share things. Instagram had none of that. You posted your picture, you used your hashtags, and it was up to people to find you. And that's just, it was impossible for small creators, which is why giant corporations and brands and all of that sort of always stayed on top. You know, name brands, celebrities always stayed on top of that for the most part. 
TikTok takes everything and feeds it based on interest. So the more people like something, the more people share something, the more people see it. And it'll as long as you sort of tread the community guidelines as best you can and try not to get yeeted off the platform, which can be difficult, you end up with a system that just pushes your video to more people. I have videos on there that have, and they're minute long, three minute long videos, whatever, but have 100,000, 300,000. I have one video that's almost at 500,000 views just because as more people see it, it gets fed to more people. It sort of comes back to life, gets fed to more people still. So, I mean, the whole reason I went on there was because I was like, hey, these other platforms aren't working. Might as well try that one. And you know, it reaches more people. So I think the, I think you're right. I think a lot of libertarians, more conservatives than anything, but a lot of libertarians are like, oh, that's a Chinese spyware app. And I don't even think China owns it anymore. I thought it was like a division of Microsoft or somebody was going to buy it for the US version. But yeah, okay. They may be spying on me. So's Apple. So's Google. So's every game on your phone. I mean, they're all data brokering your data. So kind of who cares? And if you're trying to spread a message, use what works. If Odyssey works best for you, use that. For me right now, it's TikTok. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, those are good points. And yeah, it definitely makes sense. You know, like you said, if it's, if it's working for you, then, you know, why, why not use it? I mean, for some people, it's Twitter and for, for you, it's TikTok. So, I mean, and there's no right way to use these platforms. I mean, different people have successes different ways. Some people have success. And that's a, that's, it is a funny thing about that app uh, platform is you'll have all these people that are like, this is how you gain all these followers. And I'm like, I have three times your followers and I did none of that. So no, you just find what works for you and go from there. You should just, just for like one video, one TikTok video, just like do some kind of dance. You know, you're dancing for whatever, you know, dancing like one of your favorite songs or something like just to see what would happen. <laughs> um, Harry Carey. That's what would happen. I would <laughs> Hi everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would so, die of shame, but continue, <laughs> yeah. continue. Uh, but yeah, so speaking of uh, things that uh, apparently are working or maybe not working, I don't know. So one of the reasons that I wanted you on the show is because you did do a TikTok video and then you made a, a longer a YouTube video. And the whole premise of it, the, the gist of it was that the Libertarian Party uh, has apparently abandoned California. So... Josh, has the Libertarian Party abandoned California? What do you think? Yes. Yes, they have. Uh, so what I did is I, well, what happened, I can explain it for, for your viewers or listeners or what have you, is I got a, I got my primary election ballot piece in the mail that shows every statewide office that the entire state votes on. And there wasn't a single Libertarian in here. I mean, there were non-qualified parties. That's people who are in a party that's not a, an official party in California, like the Communist Party and whatnot. Not a single Libertarian was in there. So then I went through and actually not that anyone needs to see it, but I actually went through and counted every single uh, person that was running for office in the state. That's assembly, every statewide office. So assembly, state, okay. California Assembly, California Senate, the United States Senate, United States House, and the 11 statewide offices. So like governor, lieutenant governor, stuff like that. And there were all of three libertarians running in 165 offices. Now, the, the really problematic part about that is that that doesn't even mean that the Libertarian Party helped work with or convinced those three people to run as Libertarians, because all it takes to run as a party member is to register with the state as the party and then pull paperwork and you know do your dance to, to, to run for office. So even if the Libertarian Party was actively searching for candidates, actively trying to find people to run, 
there are three out of 165 in the state. Now, for contrast, there were, let me see, 316 Democrats, 293 Republicans, 12 members of the Green Party, four no party preference, that's our version of independent, six peace and freedom, and one American independent. So, and that, what's, what's actually kind of funny to me about that was that uh, the Libertarian Party has has the, the combined registration of the Peace and Green and the uh, Peace and Freedom and the Green Party combined. And yet they put out, what was it? Uh, one, one sixth? Wait, three? Yeah, one, or one fifth the number of candidates. I mean, they put out nobody to run. So the Libertarian Party is super worried about what's happening in Reno in a couple of days, uh, the big Reno convention. Uh, the Libertarian Party National Convention. They're really worried about what's happening in 2024. And they're giving the largest state in the union with 40 million people nobody to vote for. I don't know. It seems like abandoning the state to me. Now, there are going to be people, obviously, that are running for city councils and stuff later in the year, you know, because you don't pull paperwork for that till like June or July and other things. But I don't know. Seems to me that you have 165 offices and three people are running. Doesn't look like a party that's serious about trying to spread the message of liberty or win electoral office. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess one uh, pushback on that, I suppose, would be maybe they just look at California as just lost hope. Like, what's the point of trying to run people that they know? I mean, look, it's the Libertarian Party. Obviously, they have like 0.1% chance of, of winning elections. And maybe that's, I don't know if that's too conservative, liberal, whatever. Let's just say they have a, it's, it's, it's a long shot. We'll just say of okay. them winning anything. Okay. So here, here's a good example. So I wasn't paying attention and I, because I'm not a member of a party and I kind of don't care, but recently this, like most States, California redraw our, our district lot maps. So my assembly person who for the, for years now, a uh, woman by the name of Sharon Cork Silva, Democrat, almost impossible to beat. Republicans never beat her. I was like, oh, well, she's running again. So I'm just going to ignore that race because I don't care because, you know, it's just it's, it's a it's a locked race. Excuse me. She's not in my district anymore. Now I have Philip Chen, a Republican who was one city over. Now he's over my district or where I live now. He's running unopposed. If the Libertarian Party was paying attention to how people were running, where they were running, what the likelihood was of the redrawn maps, that's a seat. That would be guaranteed because California is different from a lot of states and that we have what's called a jungle primary. And that means that everybody runs in the primary. So assembly, Senate, stuff like that. And then the top two are who goes to the general election. So if you don't run in the primary, you cannot run in the general. That's just how it works. But if a libertarian had run in my, in my district for state assembly, they'd be guaranteed a top two position. Well, that gives the Democrats someone else to vote for because there's no Democrats on the ballot. That gives the disenfranchised Republicans and no party preference voters somebody to vote for. And nobody's running in this district. Now, I've run for office before. I didn't want to do it again. So I wasn't really paying attention. I didn't really care. But, the, but as a party, they should have known this. They should have been watching these district maps. There are races that people are running unopposed. And if you just run people in those races, it elevates your party's position because it gives people somebody to vote for, somebody to look at they might not have otherwise paid attention to in races that are going to go to a single candidate. So now every Democrat for state assembly is either going to stay home or just not vote on that race. Every Republican is going to just vote for the de facto Republican and everyone else is just not going to care, I guess, because there's no choice. You know, yeah, there are sure there are races where you're like, oh, that's a bright blue district. That's a I'm not going to win in San Francisco or whatever. But sure, 
But I live in Orange County, and Orange County is considered to be fairly libertarian to begin with. Low taxes, socially liberal on a lot of things. There is opportunity. I just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that the party cares enough. And I'll actually track this back. You look back at the governor's race, not the recall race that just happened, but the governor's race of 2020. And 2020? Had to have been 2020. But um, you look at the race. No, guess what? What's the year? 2022? 2018. Uh, whenever Nicholas Wildstar and um, Zora's, uh, what's the transhumanist name? Zora's, um, another libertarian dude. He was running for governor. The Libertarian Party couldn't even choose who they were endorsing for governor. Like there were two libertarians who ran for governor and the Libertarian Party, it didn't endorse. Like mm -hmm. if your party can't choose who your candidate, who you support, then how are the voters going to? How are the people going to? I don't think the California Libertarian Party knows how to tackle this state. It's also a huge state. You look at somewhere like New Hampshire with the, the Free State Project, and you have a state smaller than my county. It's going to be way easier to organize, way easier to talk to people, way easier to network. I can't get coffee with somebody who lives in San Francisco eight hours away. So I think it's it's a geographic problem. It's a, there's a whole lot of reasons why. They have a lot of excuses, a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, as a voter, I don't care. I don't care what their excuses are. I don't care what their reasons are. All I know is I look at my ballot and there and there is zero representation of who I can vote for from a party who screams at me not to vote for the duopoly. Well, congratulations. You gave me a choice to vote for the duopoly. What do I do now? Yeah, that... <laughs> That, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I mean, I, I guess if you want to look like you're doing something in a, in a state that, and again, I'm kind of, I'm trying to think of it from the Libertarian Party perspective. If, if they did see just the state as a whole as, well, we don't have a chance there in California. So maybe let's focus on like, I don't know. Wyoming or Alabama or another state or something like that because that would, yeah sure that would make sense but they don't do that they focus on the national race the national race everyone's talking about who's going to run for president of the libertarian party ticket 2020 Joe Jorgensen got what 1.15% of the vote she didn't get taken seriously by any major media establishment outlet because everyone was tribalist do you think in 2024 the entire country is going to open up and be like you know what I know that it's been really contentious, left versus right, but I'm willing to open my heart and mind to a third option. I mean, it, it's it, it's a laughable premise to think that we can't win in California, but we can win the national ticket. And if it's just a messaging thing, you could message in California, too. You know, you think California voters are going to take you more seriously because you're on the presidential line than the congressional line? I don't think that bared out in any any ballot that's happened Everybody knows Ron Paul because of, because he ran as a Republican in 2008. I don't think anybody could name a Libertarian Party candidate except for Ron Paul in, what, 88? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a valid argument if they were actually doing those things. But I don't see them doing that. I think I see Libertarians who are also members of the Libertarian Party doing things like the Free State Project. I see what, there's that Midwest project that's happening that that they're trying to get people to, to run in certain races and whatnot. Hmm. For me, I don't care. Because I live in California. Yeah. I don't care what happens in Colorado or New Mexico or Wyoming or New Hampshire. I, I don't care. I, I care what happens in my state. And I look at it and it's like, oh, cool. They don't exist here. And I know the rebuttal from the Libertarian Party. It was like, well, the party is who, you know, who shows up and why don't you fix it? I'm like, why? Like, I don't have that much time on my hands to fix that problem. You know, 
if it felt like the party was doing, I was doing, it was doing a lot of work and I just needed to help out to make it better. That would that'd be fine. But I've, I've seen libertarian party stuff and I've seen people who really do work hard and really do care here in California, who have done a lot of work trying to build things. But when you show up, it looks like, oh, I have to then take the reins and build it after this person gets burned out. You know, I, I had a, somebody at, a, at the local level who was like, not, I'm, I'm not going to name the person and it's not anybody you guys would think of because it's not a big name person in the party, but who was like, yeah, no, the, the party's full of, um, what's a delicate way of saying this insane people. And it burns everybody out. You know, I know a guy who was chair of, of, of the local parties in California was, he was actually around when the party was started. He's a local guy in my town that I, that I'm friends with. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I still donate to them, but I don't go to anything because they don't do anything. That's terrible. You got legacy members of the party who think the party doesn't do anything. And so, yeah, there's a lot of excuses, a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, the answer I always get from an and again, so people, so people know I'm not a registered member of the Libertarian Party, not national, not state, not local. I am not a delegate, none of those things. I just look at the party and go, what, how does this make my life more free? And if the party can't, and if the party's answer is show up and do a lot more work. Yeah, that's not freedom. That's, you know, work. <laughs> that's volunteer work. That's cool. But yeah. That's not making my life more free. If they can't answer that question, what value is the party? You know, to your point of, sorry to, to ramble, but to your point of what they're trying to do it elsewhere, I can't sell that to California. Join the Libertarian Party because Wisconsin might be more free this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think if, uh, if yeah, if they weren't so focused on, and look, I mean, if they're going to focus on national, that's their prerogative. That If that's what they want to do, then fine but yeah like to your point you live in california you worry and you care about what's going on in in the state that you live in that that would be a fair perspective like why yeah like why would you care what's going on in nevada i mean maybe maybe nevada because it's like it's like right there obviously it's like your neighbor so maybe you sort of kind of care because it's right there but at the same time it's 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 like so the libertarian party is telling me to do the work but then when i i see maybe Am I supposed to be the one doing the work? What about the person next to me? Like, how, like who, how many people are supposed to be doing the work? Well, and that's the problem is that they, they tell you to do the work and you don't see a lot of people doing the work, at least not locally where I am. And again, that that's an issue where you can point to people in other states, other areas. And that's what I get all the time. They're like, well, in Pennsylvania or in New Hampshire. And I'm like, cool. That has nothing to do with where I live. So you're asking me to show up and fix the party. And why would if I and here's here's the rebuttal on that. If I'm going to show up and fix a party. There is another party in California that's totally broken and, and not useful, and that's called the Republicans. I could just as easily show up and fix them as I could the Libertarian Party. I mean, anybody who's in the Libertarian Party knows of all the squabbling and all the fighting. I mean, the whole hashtag Reno reset for you know the, the end of this month in, in Reno, Nevada, is about the Mises caucus trying to take over the Libertarian Party from the more pragmatic sort of, let's call them cocktail party libertarians. And... That means that the party itself is fractured. It's no different than the never Trump Republicans versus team MAGA in the Republican Party. If you're going to have to show up and fight embedded vested interests and certain donors and all of that, if I'm going to have to bang my head against these walls, I could go to a party that has a guaranteed voter base. I mean, yeah, the Republican Party is only 24 percent of registered voters in California, but the libertarians are one percent. I put an R next. If I want to run for office, I put an R next to my name. I'm guaranteed way more votes than putting an L next to my name and nothing about my ideology changed. So 
especially like like you said, if you put an R next to your name and you run in a district that you have a chance in in winning, that that could be something that you could do. But a lot of libertarians, when maybe when you when you tell them that, when you say, hey, maybe if you if you actually want to do something in the state to help it out, to the gain more liberty within the state of California, maybe you should work with the republic. Uh, no, I, no, it's gotta be an L you have to have an L next to your name. I, I know because they, I disagree with them on one thing. No, I can't, I can't do it. Nope. No, the, the easy test is okay. Can you name any member of Congress who's put forward libertarian ideas? I can point out Thomas Massey immediately every year. He puts forward a bill to, 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 to abolish the department of education every year. He does that. Right. I can point to, you know, Ron Paul. He was very libertarian. Talked about, wrote a book about ending the Fed from within the Republican Party. Like, yeah, that's fair. Like, you could point to libertarian ideology in the Republican Party. Can you point to any libertarian party member in Congress that's done anything ever? No, because they haven't existed. So well, I, I can already hear the people being like, well, Justin Amash was libertarian. Yeah, but that's because he switched parties. Justin Amash. <laughs> Justin Amash was independent longer than he was libertarian. He didn't join the libertarian party. He left the Republican party, became an independent, realized he couldn't run, win his race again as an independent, carpet bagged onto the libertarian party to try to take the presidential nominee. And then when that didn't pan out, stuck around. If Justin Amash was a libertarian, Justin Amash wasn't a libertarian party member of Congress, except as sort of a default position that was possibly going to benefit him towards the end. If he had left the libertarian, sorry, if he had left the Republican party and immediately joined the libertarians, there'd be an argument, but he didn't join the libertarian party until he decided to try to run for president. It was a carpet bagging thing at best. So yeah, but he never won. He was never really libertarian in Congress. He ran as a Republican. So anything that you credit him with in Congress goes to the Republican party. That's how he ran. That's how he won. That's how he got in office. You know, sure, he left office as a Republican. He didn't even run for re-election. He joined the Libertarian Party after he already already gave up his seat, essentially. So, yeah, I, I know the, the the rebuttal on that, but it's wrong. Not a single, in the 50 years the Libertarian Party has been a party, they haven't got a single federal office. And I did the math two years ago. That if you do the math of how many Senate, how many House seats, because it's every two years, and how many Senate seats not counting special elections that the Libertarian Party has had a chance at by virtue that they could pull paper in any in any jurisdiction, right? There are over 10,000 chances that they could have had to win a single seat in Congress. They've never done it once. So it's like, oh, it has to be an L. It's never been one. So it has to be the first L? You know? Yeah. Miss well, me with that. The one name that I can think of that um, I'm pretty sure he won an election as a representative was uh marshall burt i think is his name in wyoming um I'm, oh, I'm did pretty, he, did, do they have one i'm pretty sure yeah i'm pretty sure he's he's one i don't know like how i know he's not like part of the 535 whatever but he's like a big representative in, in uh, wyoming and again i'm not like on the Wait, top of my head, he, I don't, is he federal or state level i'm pretty sure he's just state level yeah okay yeah i'm talking federal because right. like the, the, up until a couple of years ago, the largest race that a libertarian had ever won was actually Jeff Hewitt out of a Riverside, Riverside County supervisor. You know, so, you know, there are some wins for sure, but it becomes that issue of if you're like, oh, well, you know, it has to be an L, then I'm sorry, you're just going to not win in certain races. You're just not going to succeed in certain races and you have a huge hurdle to overcome.
everything that you can throw at the libertarian or the Democrats or Republicans, people throw at the libertarians also. I mean, how many times do you get people asking you about Marauds? Yeah. So. Yeah, and yeah, so I'm, I'm sure for you, where, where you, you do have no party affiliation, but I, I, I suppose you kind of gravitate more towards the Libertarian Party just because you kind of have those those type of values more so than any others. I'm, I'm assuming, right? Right. So I, I'm not a member. Okay, so I've only been registered with a party twice in my life. I registered with the De since I was since I registered when I was 18 or whatever. So I was a, I was a registered member of the Democratic Party for about a year or so because I literally registered to run against the guy that shared my first name. He was up for recall as a state senator. The Republicans were doing a terrible job in that. I, I did not trust them to get this guy recalled. And so I figured it would be really fun to take his signs. because His name was Josh Newman. My name is Joshua Ferguson. So I took his signs and it said, you know, vote no or whatever. And I, I made signs that looked identical to his, but they said, vote, yet, vote yes, vote Josh. Because in a recall, you vote on two things. Do you want to recall the person? Yes or no. And then who do you want to be in that office? Well, if you're being recalled, your name isn't listed as the candidates because you're not running for the office. You're trying to not be recalled. So the only Josh that was a Democrat to vote for was me. And the Democratic Party lost their minds. So I registered with them as a joke and sort of a trolling thing. And then I registered Libertarian because I'm friends with a lot of Libertarians. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot, whatever. And then I just went back to no party preference because I don't care. Ultimately, I'd say, yeah, ideologically, sure. I have a lot more in common with the Libertarian Party. I just don't. I don't see the personal utility for me in California. I don't try to knock it for people. Like if you think it's great for your state, great for your municipality, whatever, awesome. If you think you can save the Libertarian Party with the Mises Caucus, awesome. You know, I, I don't try to tell people that, that you're doing it wrong because I think that's sort of a, a dumb mentality to have. You know, different people like different things. They gravitate towards different things. It's sort of what we were talking about earlier. It was like, if TikTok works for you, use it. If Twitter works for you, use it. Whatever medium works for you to promote your liberty, your message, whatever, you know, do you. And I feel that way about the LP. I just don't see a lot of use with it with people like Sarwak or JBH or whoever who were running the party for the longest time. And then I see California basically being abandoned by the LP. And I just go, meh. I, I, it doesn't make my life freer. It doesn't increase liberty in my sphere. So whatever. Republican Party is useless. I would never vote for a Democrat. I've made that mistake once in my life. I'll never do it again. Uh, Republican Party is, is, is corrupt and uh, ridiculously corrupt in my area. So I, I can't affiliate with them and the libertarian party is non-existent so it's just i absolutely i think they're the closest to me but you know my local libertarian party story is i went to one of their meetings at a denny's and they didn't show up well that's that's just that's just unfortunate <laughs> um so i guess uh switching gears to the next thing that i wanted to kind of touch upon is Another TikTok thing that you had did that I thought was pretty interesting was when you had talked about the disinformation governance board being paused as opposed to some people saying, oh, it's completely – it's over. Like, we don't have to worry about it anymore. But it's just been – it's basically like pending review, I suppose. Like we're going to find out who the next person is going to be to take over whoever that lady was or something like that. So can you kind of go over that a little bit? Yeah. So yeah, obviously everyone was mad about the Ministry of Truth because you know the government's got a government. And – bunch of pushback bunch of flack and then nina jankowitz had all these talking points like she had one where she said that people should be able like verified the good verified users not all verified users but the good verified users on twitter should be able to edit other people's tweets to add context and so a bunch of that and a bunch of other nonsense with her came out and so they 
uh, like this last Monday, I think it was Monday, whatever the date was, last last week or so, they said they were going to stop it. Department of Homeland Security is like, we're going to shut down the disinformation governance board. And then on Tuesday, they decided, no, 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 we're going to keep it. We're just going to put it on pause. And they actually tried to retain Nina Jankowicz. She was going to tender her resignation. They tried to keep her on. And then on Wednesday, she actually resigned. But yeah, the, the government, the disinformation governance board is on hold while they try to recharacterize and better explain its purpose and what it does. So it's not going anywhere. They're just going to wait till the midterms are over or whatever, and then bring it back like they do every other government agency. I think an example I like to use with something like this is that the United States had a tea a federal tea tasting board from the 1800s until the Clinton administration. Like nothing goes away in government. It just, it, it, except in rare instances where they have to do, do something. So this isn't going anywhere. And also think about this. People were sort of pejoratively calling it the, the, the ministry of truth, you know, the, the throwaway to 1984. If you've read 1984, the government wins in that book. Like it's, it's a dystopian novel. Like the government, win, big brother wins. At least, I, unless I, I, that's how I remember reading it. Like the whole, you know, re resistance was, was a fraud. Kind of like how the FBI sets people up now. It's that thing. Like they're not going to let this tool go away. You know, what was it? You had mentioned before, it's like um, before the show, it's like what Twitter has the thing where the, the crisis thing where they're, oh, we need to worry about disinformation. Nobody's given that up. You have to control the message or the truth might escape. So yeah, a lot of people, especially on the right, were really doing victory laps on that. I even saw some libertarians, libertarians doing it where they were like, oh, the disinformation board's gone. I mean, <clears throat> no, no, it's not. Show me, show me on the doll where it's gone because every news story was like, oh, it's on pause. It's on hold. You know. Yeah. Didn't it break in the Washington Post, you know, the most trustworthy publication, apparently? So the Washington Post reported on it, and then so did Business Insider, Insider.com uh, had reported on it as well. And both of them both, both said that it was on pause. It was on hold. They're like, oh, so it's not going anywhere. Awesome. Awesome. Way to... And that, I think that's really detrimental to, to people, because now people are taking this victory lap, and your average sort of, you know, let's not say no information or low information, but your sort of passive po political person sees that and goes, oh, cool, we won that one. That's a win for my team when it wasn't. Like, you have to stay vigilant on this stuff or you just sort of forget what happens. And, you know, it's it's sort of dangerous to take to take quick Ws when there isn't one. Like, it's just halftime. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and so since you had mentioned it, uh, talking about uh, Twitter's new crisis misinformation policy, so I just wanted to say, too, about kind of like the victory lab thing or whatever is how a lot of people and rightly so probably is Elon Musk buying Twitter and becoming the, basically the primary owner of the social media website. And, you know, he's, he's been tweeting some things where like, I like what, you know, I like what he, what he tweeted there. That's, that's nice. But again, how do we know a hundred percent that what Elon Musk is saying he's actually going to do because i'm sure you can look up instances in the past where he's been in some shady shit you know i mean obviously he's a he's a freaking one of if not the most rich person in the world i mean he has the power to pretty much do whatever the hell he wants to do because he has so much money at his at, at his fingertips so him basically buying twitter and kind of saying the things that you know a lot of people on the right and 
I, I like I'm definitely one of them where like I really I I and maybe I'm being naive, but I really hope what he's saying. I'm I'm like I swear you better say because a lot of people who don't like the right, like the left and, and liberals and the progressives are like, oh my god, Elon Musk, I'm leaving Twitter. And then like Sean King was a big example. I'm leaving Twitter, and he left Twitter for like three hours and he came back. Like yeah, okay, you're back. So that then what? Now, now what are you going to do? Just, I guess I'm going to keep using Twitter because I lost my two, however many million. No, to, to be fair, to be fair, do we know that he's not logging in from Twitter.ca? <laughs> who knows? Like, who, who the hell knows what's going on? Because they, they all threatened to go to Canada when Trump won. So I'm assuming right. when they threatened to leave Twitter, they just meant .com and they're all logging in from .ca now. Um, I, th I think the issue w with, with Elon is... It, I can actually circle this back to the LP if I want to be really obtuse about it. It's a cult of personality. Is that everyone's like, oh, he's tweeting these things that are awesome. And so I, I, I definitely have to follow him and believe what he has to say. But I see this in every party. I see this in, in social media, politics, all of that, where it's like, yeah, like all the people who were pro-MAGA and yet Trump was more effectively more anti-Second Amendment than Barack Obama was. Trump passed more anti-two-way you know he didn't pass legislation per se but he pushed the executive order that led to the bump stock ban he was talking about getting rid of uh, was willing to talk about getting rid of suppressors he said in favor of red flag laws take the guns have you process later like all the people are like oh yay he's on my team and then he does all these things that are absolutely not your team's ideology i think that's the risk we have with elon as well like yeah he's tweeted some cool stuff yeah i, I too want to see twitter headquarters become a homeless shelter that'd be great but I also remember he was promising us candy and then he didn't do that. You know, <laughs> he was going to have a candy company. I think he had talked about that with the Babylon Bee where he, he they couldn't figure out something that was going to be amazing. So it just didn't happen. And it was mostly a joke. But I don't know if it's true or not. But there was a critique where he said he was going to fix anybody's problem water in Flint, Michigan, and then didn't. Or was going to get all these ventilators dur during the outbreak of the unknown virus of unspecified origins and instead delivered different machines. So he make he, he his mouth writes a lot of checks that his bank account may not be able to cash, and will he have as much say as he wants? I mean, will the government just step in and create something like the government the, uh, disinformation governance board, or do things that require him to to bend over for them? I mean, you look at things like opera. Everyone's like, oh, when he buys it, it'll be free unless the state says otherwise. I mean, they're already talking. They they immediately were talking about you know rewriting the the section of the dcma in order to to go after him you've got then you got to think about the financial institutions look at what happened when uh during the obama administration with operation choke point where the administration threatened banks by threatening to revoke their fdic insurance if they didn't cut off accounts with certain people i mean they could do the same thing with twitter with various you know legal issues that they have there's a whole bunch of things that we do that are happening behind the scenes and sure he wants it to be a free speech platform but he's still going to censor stuff you have to, by law, you know, threats of harm have to be censored. Certain things have to be censored. I mean, you know, as much as the, the left likes to parade people that believe in like a MAP and whatnot, you know, that stuff has to be censored by law. So it's never going to be a truly free speech platform. And you can tab that argument if you want about the merits of that. But the reality is, is that the law can change. Most of the left wants, you know, hate crime, you know, legislation to, to, to ban no, no, naughty words and hate speech. If the law changes and it will take years for something to be adjudicated with the Supreme Court, that effectively nukes his ability to make it free speech. So even if you want to take him on faith, we still can't say it's going to happen. And I don't take anything on faith. 
cool. Elon does all these cool things. Cool. He's going to have, you know, Starlink or whatever. Awesome. SpaceX. Cool. But I need to see what he actually does first. I'm not even convinced that he's actually buying Twitter. You know, I think it was all just a ploy to tank them, to be honest. That knowing that the bots are as, as prolific as they are, they had to, they have to release how many bots they have and prove it for his sale to go through, which could tank their company. So I'm not even convinced he's buying it. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good point. This could all be just be financially motivated where they can tank it and kind of just make a ton of money where like, I don't know, something about like buying the stock and then it goes or something. Like, I don't know how the whole thing well, goes, like it dips and he buys the stock and it goes back up. Okay, I'm selling it, but I made a ton of money. Woo! Or not even, not even that. I mean, there's rumors of him releasing his own phone. He's got his own internet provider. All he has to do is put a platform on his phone, buy Mark Cuban Cyberdust or something, put it on his own phone, you know, promise free speech on that, and then Twitter's a relic. So, you know, if he was smart, he would just try, he would find a way to backdoor buy True Social and force Trump back on his platform. <laughs> he definitely probably have an easier time doing that for sure. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, so about this uh, crisis misinformation policy that Twitter kind of came up with, whatever, recently. So I'll, I'll share here, uh, for those who are watching, kind of what they're talking about. I'm going to put it on the screen. So they made this whole blog post here about it, about uh, what it's all about. One of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was – so. Here in this, in one of these uh, paragraphs, is developing the policy, and it says teams at Twitter have worked to develop a crisis misinformation framework since last year, drawing on key input from global experts and human rights organizations. For the purpose of this policy, we define crises as situations in which there is a widespread threat to life, physical safety, health, or basic subsistence. This definition is consistent with the United Nations definition of a humanitarian crisis and other humanitarian assessments. Down the line, as we expand our approach, we will enforce around other emergent global crises informed by the United Nations Interagency Standing Committee, Emergency Response Framework, and other global humanitarian frameworks. So they've been basically working on this since last year. And I thought it was funny because talking about oh, the UN, you know, been working with the UN and all this stuff. And I mean, the whole thing was basically because there's been a lot of information coming out, misinformation or whatever you want to call it, uh, with people's opinions on the whole Russia-Ukraine conflict that's going on. And so they also point out here and uh, later in here in the, in the blog post, it says some examples of tweets that we may add a warning notice to include. False coverage or event reporting or information that mischaracterizes conditions on the ground as the conflict evolves. What's going on right now? There's conflict in Russia, Ukraine, and other parts of the world. False allegations regarding use of force, incursions on territorial sovereignty or around the use of weapons. Demonstrably false or misleading allegations of war crimes or mass atrocities against specific populations. False information regarding international community response, sanctions, defensive actions, or humanitarian operations. Strong commentary efforts to debunk or fact check and personal anecdotes or first person accounts do not fall within the scope of the policy. So it, it kind of makes you be like, okay, so they've been working on this since last year. 
and then they kind of dropped this while the Russia-Ukraine conflict's going on. A lot of people are saying their thing and writing articles and all that. So if I write an article that says, and we were, we kind of mentioned this too while uh, before we recorded was the whole like go, the ghost of Kiev thing that happened, and now how that's like all folklore and everything like that, and that was basically proven to be a, a piece of shit story. But then they're still using that as well. It's it's a rallying cry. They're going to have these people rally because this ghost of Kiev shot down six seven Russian yeah. warp warfighter jets but but that's not that that wouldn't be considered false like I, fake news whatever i i don't remember if it was when i was reading up on that i don't remember if it was bbc or reuters but one of them i think it was bbc called it folklore it's a fable to rally the troops yeah that's called war propaganda is what that is that's literally disinformation the snake island soldiers that allegedly got killed didn't get killed the ghost of kiev wasn't true the sunflower in the pockets girl a seeds in the pocket girl wasn't true i mean all those stories were all just war propaganda and none of that gets called out as disinformation the more interesting here, here's an interesting take though i'll give you an example so when you were reading that i looked up the global crisis response group from the united nations and the first thing they say is the war in Ukraine, it's in all its dimensions, is producing alarming cascading effects to the world economy already battered by COVID-19 and climate change. Don't ever forget, the UN, the UN thinks that climate change is a global catastrophe. It's a crisis. Ergo, anything on that will be considered disinformation. You know, like if you point out the hockey stick graph back in the day and all the other hilarious lies that we've been told over the years, you know, global cooling, global warming, I mean, whoops, climate change, all of that that constantly changes, all of that will be considered disinformation that Twitter will go after because if they're working with the UN, that's one of the biggest crises that mankind faces right now. Yeah, apparently, was it like Earth will be uninhabitable in like 30 years or something like that? Oh, but they've all been the saying that, yeah. Yeah, all that. The population bomb was a lie, you know, all that stuff. And, and also you have to remember that a lot of people in the UN call the ownership of firearms a crisis. So are you going to be able to talk about your Second Amendment rights on Twitter or will that be considered disinformation? You know, it gets really, really weedy really quick when you start looking at how they use these terms and sort of how amorphous they become. Because what, it, first of all, what do they consider a crisis? Because it seems to be everything. You know, if the, if the climate is a crisis, then just about everything is that affects that. That's energy production, that's food production, that's agriculture, that's housing, and that's everything. Look at the Green New Deal and what they were trying to touch. So everything now, and then you look, you know, you look at all this stuff like, okay, well, what counts as disinformation? You know, well, whatever they don't like. You know, it's never objective. Or like you said, they would point out things like the ghost of Kiev. They would point out the, all of these other things, which they don't do unless they're forced to. I mean, it's a... It's not a, you know, free speech issue. It's not a, you know, if, exposing bad ideas with better ideas. It's going to be a, you know, a reason to censor people's views and opinions because they have wrong think. So what if I say something about the Joe, uh, Joe Biden administration sending troops to Somalia? And I say something about that, that I guess they're not going to say anything because that's not important enough. The war in Ukraine, that's very important. Maybe What's going on in Somalia? No. Maybe or maybe not. But I mean, you look at how nefarious it comes with, with especially with the warfare state and everything else. You have, I mean, the the government, the 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 top brass of the military or the advisors rather were lying to the president when Trump was president about how many troops we had in certain countries because they were worried he would want to withdraw them. 
like the president, the president wasn't making policy uh, on our, our war powers positions because he wasn't given full information. It, you know, he was being manipulated. If they're willing to do that to the president, you think they aren't willing to do it to you? You know, maybe maybe we can't talk about, I mean, Scott Horton and Dave Smith love to beat the drum on Yemen. How long until they can't talk about that anymore? You know, that's a crisis. You know, good point. You know, it, it becomes that thing. I mean, not that they would be in favor of this, you know, disinformation nonsense anyways, but right. it affects all of these different things that people don't really think about or realize. And I don't trust any company, any group of people, any government agency, any connected cocktail party, you know, I, I really wanted to use a couple of expletives right there, but I'm going to refrain from it. Um, people from controlling how you can say things, what you can say, and what have you. you know. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Yemen and all that. Like that's been going on since what, like 2014 or something like that. And that that's another thing where if if they were so worried about and. It, I don't even, this doesn't even have to be said, but it's, it's not like, okay, so the war in Ukraine is happening. It's a, it's a terrible situation. I think pretty much anyone can kind of agree on that. But at the same time, it's like, there are all these other conflicts that the, the, like the, in, the intellectual press, they don't, not, they don't really look at that as something that like, maybe we got to talk about what's going on over there in Yemen right now. It's, it's worse than that because you look at how, how it's connected. It's like, you look at, or how how the things play out. You look at Yemen, and that was that was a Hillary Clinton thing where she really pushed for that. We launched over a hundred Tomahawk missiles into that country, destabilized it, caused all these problems, and the Saudis have been just you know just just rampaging against that country for eight years now. And we just sort of go, oh well, they're our ally. Who cares? There's it's been it was factional fighting, you know, uh, sectarian fighting between groups for years and years and years. We got involved, destabilized the government and Saudi just kicked the crap out of them for the last eight years. You're like, oh, that's just regional conflict. But then you look over at uh, Ukraine where, oh, wait, we, we did the same thing only without missiles. We helped orchestrate a coup that overthrew their government. And there was factional infighting between uh, Russian Ukrainians and non-Russian Ukrainians and all this fighting and factualism and all these things. And then Russia pulled a Saudi Arabia and went into Ukraine and we're like, oh, no, now it's World War Three and we have to super, super care. Like, wait, hold on. We, we care about human rights there, but not there. We care about, you know, destabil a destabilized nation there, but not. I mean, if Russia was our trading partner, we'd be turning a blind eye to Ukraine. There's no the moral outrage is fake at best. You know, it's like Facebook uh, not long ago. They said that they, they were going to allow people to support the Azov battalion. Like I wh what? Like my first foray into libertarian party politics, I was invited to somebody's um, house party out in LA. Somebody I would never associate with ever again because it was a terrible human being and I was warned off to never talk to them again. But this dude claiming to be a libertarian was all on the, you know, punch a Nazi thing. Like that was his big thing. Like working out down. It's all about that. And I was like, that's assault, bro. Like that's a problem. And for years we were hearing that, like you should be able to do this or to pejorative, you know, you could, you could uh, punch a David Duke type person, you know, that type of thing. Like it's, it's okay because they're evil. And you're like, Oh, you mean like the Azov battalion? Well, no, it's different this time. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not the same. They're just, you know, evil over there. And so I, all the moral outrage is fake. All of the, you know, the partisanship, all of, all of that's just nonsense. And it gets really frustrating because yeah, you'll have, I mean, Twitter is putting up this thing over Ukraine when they didn't care about all the misinformation or whatever coming out about Yemen or whatever. The only way you even, I'll be honest, the only way you even know there's a war in Yemen is if you're a libertarian. 
because libertarians won't stop talking about it justifiably, but that's why. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> they, that they definitely don't stop talking about it, but it's, it is an important issue for sure. Um, but I think the way that you can maybe solve this issue, if you know, if you want to stop the government's involvement is just, just have private companies go over there and do it. Well, they were, they were doing some of that back in, um, back before the whole Rwanda thing happened, you know, um, and there were private companies going through and stopping, uh, what was happening in, what was it? Sierra Leone and a few Angola, I think. And then the Clinton administration and UN put a stop to that because we can't have private contractors, you know, doing these war type things. And then, you know, a million or so people got, you know, got yeeted in, in Rwanda while we and the world sat by and watched. You know, so, I mean, there are solutions to this stuff. A lot of it, you know, we can't deal with it. We can't be the world police, et cetera, et cetera. But the scary part is when they weaponize what's happening for their own aims. Yeah. Like you said, Twitter's saying they were talking about this a year ago. Uh, what was happening in Ukraine wasn't happening a year ago. So why is that their big focus on it? What were they worried about then? I would love to see the internal memos of how this started. Because I guarantee you it was all about the unknown virus of unspecified origins. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of have joking about the private company thing because, you know, libertarians be like, the government is doing all this stuff overseas, but if private companies were doing all, oh, well, that's, that's, it's that's a private fine. company. It's a, I actually, <laughs> I was thinking about that with the whole, not to get into the whole road thing, but I was thinking about that where it's like, you know, I have, everyone's talking about, I have a right to privacy. I'm like, dude, the hospital's a private company. They can sell your data. Right. It's a private company. What? Well, they're yeah, they're a private company that's contracted <laughs> with the government, and they all that's all intertwined. And no, 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 I'm talking about how like you know like when whenever you talk about how Twitter or whoever is going to censor everybody, and, and you know the the hardcore libertarians or ANCAPs are like it's a private company, they can do what right. they want. Meanwhile, the only reason Twitter can exist is because the government protects their intellectual property that stops anybody from directly competing with them in the same way. Like if somebody has aped the Twitter algorithm, they would be thrown into court and they'd be just bankrupted because the government protects it. The government's only reason Twitter and Facebook and all these companies can exist by virtue of protecting their intellectual property. Same way the government contracts with hospitals and, you know, shovels money at them and everything else. So the idea that it's like, Oh, Twitter can censor you because a private company. Yeah. And the hospital can give your private medical data to the sheriff's department because it's a private company. Right. You know, yeah. those arguments fall apart really quickly. Yep. Yeah. And yet people still do them because I guess it makes them feel good. I don't know. Hey, as long as the government's not doing it, then I'm okay. I'm okay, o I'm okay with it. So yeah. I have, I have a question for you. Um, <gasps> yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. The tables have turned. The turns have tabled. So the first time I heard of you was when you asked a question during the Soho forum between uh, then Libertarian Party Chair Nicholas Sarwak and Dave Smith. And that's one of the things that sort of, I think, propelled Dave Smith forward in the libertarian world. Cause I know a lot of people didn't know who he was before then and really just elevated his position. I think, what are your thoughts? Cause I have my own, but what are your thoughts on the uh, prospect of him running for president in two years? Wow. You put me on the spot there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to answer. I'm just being mean. No, I, I'm going to answer. Cause I'm not going to, I don't want to beat around the bush and I'm sure if you had asked Dave this, well, I mean, if you've asked him anything, I'm sure you wouldn't be around a bush. So I'm not going to do the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're good acquaintances. I would, I would think, you know, he's, he's always had a uh, nice things to say. And he, I know that uh, when 
we we're going through our uh, infertility struggles. He was very supportive of us. So I really appreciate that. Um, but I will say, you know, get all the pleasantries out of the way. I'll just, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, in terms of him running for president, because that's maybe it's the worst kept secret, but I'm just going to say it anyway, I do think that that's like my prediction is that that's definitely going to be something that's going to be announced or something is that he's definitely running to be the nominee for the Libertarian Party in uh, 2024. And I, I, I did, I did say this, I did say this because we were talking about it a little bit as well before we recorded, but I will say it really depends in terms of, because I did, I did say this too with other people and at the time, and I know it was like, it's recent history because it was like a couple weeks ago, last week or whatever, when I was talking to them and I was saying, I don't know if I would vote for him. I don't think I would. Now it's, now I'm kind of thinking, well, it really depends on who ends up being the nominees for because like for democrat i'm not voting for democrat i don't care unless it's like a really good democrat somehow but i don't see that happening if it was a mike pence or a mitt romney type of person then i'd be i'm not saying i would or i will but i'm saying i'm more inclined to vote for dave smith but if it was someone like thomas massey or a rand paul or and I was like, oh, Rand Paul, ugh. but yeah, if it was those two, or even a Ron DeSantis, if he decided to run and he got the nomination, or if it was Donald Trump who decided he's going to run again and he got the nomination, I'd probably be more inclined to vote for those guys because I'd rather have them there than the other two guys that I had mentioned when I was when I said I would vote for them. So, um. Yeah, you can. Say no, what you're gonna say. no, no, no. I was just thinking. I was just thinking. It's like that's that's sort of the take. It's like I've never met uh, Dave Smith. I've never talked to him. I think he. I think I've had one Twitter exchange with him ever. He seems like a decent guy. Um, seems like a good guy. Seems like a, a, a reasonable person. My my question for for the Libertarian Party who's for the longest time has been then what? Because he's not going to win. I mean, that's just reality. Even if he, we can even hypothetical, uh, uh, hypothesize that even if he did win, cool, you're president and you have a hostile Congress against you because not a single Congress member is a libertarian. So now what? What are you going to do? Just veto everything? I mean, that's awesome, but they're just going to override you with bipartisan support. So the question is, when he loses, then what? Because Joe Jorgensen got 1.15% of the vote. I mean, she got more voters because everybody voted, even those who probably weren't alive but everybody voted in this country last you know in 2020 so she got more numbers of votes but like 1.15 percent of the actual vote total uh i don't see him pulling a ross perot i don't see him pulling 18 to 20 percent or you know let alone, let, alone, let alone enough to win so what does the party do after that i mean to circle it back to the beginning of the show is that the libertarian party's abandoned my state everyone i know is talking about the national what's happening in reno at the end of may and then the, the worst kept secret in the LP of, of, of him or Spike Cohen running in one of the two capacities. So when they don't win in 2024, then what's the, what does the party do? Like, what's their goal? Because for me, I just I don't see it as a, a big rallying cry. And I do see it a little bit of a cult of personality in that Smith's a good speaker. He, he seems like an affable human being. He seems like a nice guy. He seems to, to care about people genuinely. But people seem to look past how the system actually works. 
Like, even if he was polling 10% in the polls, they would just move the threshold to 15 to get in the debates. And if he got 15, they'd move it to 20. I mean, they changed it because Ross Perot did so well. You know, I, I don't know. Like, the, I did a video on TikTok about this. The Republican Party has said that they're leaving the commission on presidential debates because of how biased it is, which means they're just going to either for leverage or going to set up their own thing or whatever. But is the Libertarian Party trying to get in on that? Are they trying to fight their way into being relevant? And if so, how? And what is the plan after that? Because, I mean, if it's just a messaging thing, all right, cool. Dave Smith's already been on Rogan. What is he going, what audience is he going to reach that he can't already reach now? And why would they take him seriously? I don't know that there's a value add. My, if you, depending on what state you live in, it could matter. If you're in a purple state, it'll matter. If you're in a red state, it probably won't. I'm in a way, way blue state. doesn't matter at all here. So I probably wouldn't, you know. I mean, I guess it wouldn't matter either way. I guess I could, and it wouldn't really matter. But, you know, I look at it, and I think I think the, the Dave Smith question is actually what sort of pushed me off of the, the Mises caucus for the most part, because that's what it always comes down to. You know, the Libertarian Party always comes down to who's running for president next time, and I just kind of don't care. You know, that makes sense. And Yeah, I, I would just say that if, and, and I know a lot of other libertarians have said this too, and a lot of people in the party, and I'm sure a lot of people in the Mises caucus have said this as well, is that if they were to just kind of focus a lot of their attention on just like local elections, you know, winning, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure they have. But again, I'm kind of someone that's just on the outside looking. I'm not in the party. I'm not there at all the meetings. I don't, I have hardly any idea of how all the things go in the party or whatever so i'm kind of just looking at it from with like binoculars you know what i mean right so if they were to focus on local elections and like okay like you were saying before if they had if they did focus and they were kind of paying attention on oh this there's only one this guy's running unopposed let's run for let's run someone there and try and get some get, get do something there we'll have some kind of a chance if, if oh. it's just a if it's just a Democrat versus a Libertarian or whoever. I'll, I'll give you an example of, of sort of what's right and what's wrong and why I, I kind of am so jaded about it. I would say the two people in the Libertarian Party who have impressed me, well, one way more than the other, just because I've dealt with her way more. Uh, Angela McArdle actively tried to get me in the Libertarian Party. So when I first started doing the I Always Struggle as an actual podcast before I moved over to a different platform, uh, I had done a video or a couple on California's high-speed rail boondoggle. And she sent me a message on Facebook saying, hey, I'm giving a talk at my at the L.A. County you know, Libertarian Party. Do you, any, do you know anybody who knows about high-speed rail? And she was just sort of like trying to ask me without asking me, I guess. And I was like, well, I'm not an expert, but I've read a lot about it. Like, I know a lot about it. And so she's like, yeah, cool. Are you willing to come in and give a talk? And I did. And then when my city sued me, which is a whole other story for another day, I think actually we talked about this in another episode a couple of years ago when it first happened. But um, when my city sued me, she had me come out again and talk to them again. Now, I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party. I'm just sort of liberty adjacent. And she reached out multiple times and was actively trying to get me to join the party. The only other person that ever came close to that was a guy named David, who was the chair of the Orange County Libertarian Party. When I ran into him, he would try to convince me to join as well. Angela went above and beyond. Like she sort of found me on Facebook and Twitter and what have you in order to try to get me to join. I've never seen the Libertarian Party do that besides that. 
like looking for people like go onto Twitter or TikTok or whatever and just type in the hashtag libertarian and look for people that aren't affiliated with the party who are talking about these things and try to bring them in. If the party was more focused on that, it'd be a different thing. But it always seems like, hey, we need a message on the national level so we can get our ideas out into the marketplace of ideas that have resoundingly rejected libertarian ideology for the longest time. So it's like, we need to get out there and do this. I'm like, well, are you doing it anywhere else? Are you doing it locally? And I don't know. I don't see it. I think if they were doing that, it'd be a different story. I'd love to see the party or just the groups do that. I think this sort of fact that you look at the party, like I see it a lot of sort of the insidey stuff because I have a lot of friends that are on the inside or acquaintances that are to deal with it all. And it's always factionalism. Like the big thing happening in Reno is whether the, the Mises caucus will take over the party, who the real libertarians are, that the whole no true Scotsman fallacy thing. Every convention, they try to remove the, the pro-choice plank out of the platform because that keeps people on the right from ever joining. So they're basically going to probably just try to not take a position on it, which in itself is a position. So it becomes all these things where there's no focus, there's no goal. And I don't know how that changes unless you drill down to more local stuff. I don't, I don't know that the, the national stuff is winning out on anything. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the party has a whole bunch of registered members and voters and all these things, and they're way stronger than I think. But I don't know, man. I feel like I feel like a lot of it is just a big fish, small pond thing. You see a lot of people who jo who join and leave, and then you have like you know the libertarians arguing with the post libertarians and all of this stuff, and you can see that anywhere. Like I said earlier, that's MAGA versus never Trump. I mean, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, and the same with the Democrats and like the the socialist uh, faction, I suppose you can say against like the Nancy Pelosi's of the party or whatever. Sure, sure. Sort I mean, same thing. I would say the difference there is that the Democrats are always like the Overton window is always shifting towards socialism and the progressives on the left want like full throated, you know, yeah, socialism and the Nancy Pelosi types are just inching their way towards it because they want to profit on it as much as possible. You know, they're the red nobility and the Republicans have the Nancy Pelosi Republicans and then sort of the MAGA people or whatever. And then you have the Liberty people like Rand Paul that are separate. You know, I think the liberty world needs to be relevant more and stop infighting so much so they can coalesce around messages. But yeah, I don't hold out much hope. Yeah. And I guess the the last thing that I'll say about like the Libertarian Party and Arena Reset and Dave Smith, again, I mean, it hasn't been confirmed or whatever, but I think that's pretty much a done deal, I would think. I mean, again, maybe we're wrong. Maybe that we're, we've all been completely blind side oh wait he's not okay well i guess okay. that's that's cool i think he's running I, I i do i think if he doesn't he'll 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 endorse somebody like spike cohen i think he but i think he's running he's been teasing it for a year or more now demise's caucus has been teasing it for a year or more now uh whether or not he wins is a whole different story i yeah. mean if you had asked anybody in 2020 who the nominee was going to be nobody was going to pick joe jorgensen you know it was just that's just what happened during the convention so yeah, I think Joe Jorgensen was kind of the uh well, we don't like Jacob Hornberger and we don't like whoever else was running at the time. I think Joe Jorgensen's a good safe bet. Let's let's go for her. And then of course, being a safe bet, like you said, she got like what 1.5 million. The the thing with her that I thought was hilarious was when she went when she went on Ruben Report and asked Dave Dave Ruben like point blank, hey, you gonna vote for me? You you're gonna vote? And Dave just went on this whole thing about basically the whole gist of his answer was no. I <laughs> I clipped that and put it on Twitter and tagged Ruben and Ruben retweeted that lat with just laughing emojis 
because it was just that thing of like you know when she when when you know you he doesn't love you back sort of thing Mm -hmm. and it was just oh it was so painful to watch but yeah i think i don't know i don't know that we could predict it it's two it's two years out what have you i mean spike cohen was wasn't anybody's top pick i mean he was some people's top pick don't get me wrong but he became the de facto pick because of inter-party nonsense i do want to because i like to pick on the libertarian party out of love mostly Mm -hmm. I do want to point out that their 50, it is their 50th anniversary this year with their convention and their slogan is Liberty Unmasked. I'd like to point out that that's hilarious because two years ago, they almost didn't have an in-person convention because so many people in the party were afraid to go anywhere and half their convention and their nominating was all online. So when it really, really mattered, they were absolutely masked, except for the Mises people because they're the ones that pushed for the in-person yeah. convention that I was at in Orlando. But now, two years later, they're finally, finally unmasked after the CDC said it was okay. So, yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny when I saw that. I was like, wow, okay. And yeah, like you said, a lot of the people in the Mises caucus were basically, no, we're not going to follow this. And, you know, Dave Smith was really good on that. Tom Woods was really good on that. And a bunch of other people uh, that were hounding on that, they were really good. Um, I walked around Orlando that entire convention in 2020 with either a coffee or an energy drink in my hand because you didn't have to wear a mask if you were drinking. I have a video that I did on the floor where you can actually hear me crunch my can a little bit by accident and you can tell that it's empty because it was just my prop the whole time. But yeah, there were a lot of people that were really good on it. That's what, again, the Mises Caucus was. That's why they had the in-person convention in Orlando, but a lot of people were not. And so I do think that's funny. I think it's a funny, I just think it's a funny slogan for 2022 when that's not really the big issue anymore. So yeah that, that's definitely a good point um but yeah so the the last thing i'm going to say about the whole dave smith thing that was uh that i was going to say is that if he does decide to run i i think like if he went on ruben report i'm sure he's smart enough not to say hey you're gonna vote for me dave like he's not gonna say maybe off camera yeah but not while they're recording you know what i mean like, they're not gonna do that and yeah he'll 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 probably go on joe rogan again which is great huge obviously a huge platform to be on uh he was just on another uh interview i think like i think it was like patrick bet david i believe it's the guy's name he was just on on there with uh other people larry sharp spike cohen and you know that that went well so yeah i, I think in terms of the messaging in, in terms of getting that message out i think dave is as good as any of them to, to oh, kind of oh, let people oh. know oh to be fair i think i don't think there's anybody currently within the libertarian party that can speak better to the message and can relate more to people i mean i think that's why hornberger didn't win in 2020 for the libertarian party because he just didn't he didn't come off as relatable he came off as you know the angry professor of the dark arts and so it just it just didn't work but i think dave probably is the one of the best voices in in the movement he probably is one of the most affable most believable people you know he comes off as you know what the most consistent motherfucker you know and that's great whether it matters or not, I don't know. We'll see. Only time will tell. I, I agree with you. It depends on where you live. It depends on who's running. I mean, anybody who says, hey, can I, I don't. OK, let me let me just say I don't think he'll go on Dave Rubin and ask if he, if Rubin would vote for him on air. I don't think he'd make a blunder like that. I also don't think he'd have a what's Aleppo moment. Right. I think he will be a great voice if he runs. But you know whether or not that's enough to convince people to vote is a whole different issue i'd love to see their strategy on what they plan to do but i'm not party to any of that so it won't happen yeah you know, so but i definitely think to kind of wrap wrap this whole thing up is that like you said he runs 
he doesn't win, then what? What's the plan there? What's the strategy there? And I think, you know, and I've seen people ask that. And a lot of, at least from what I've seen, I've seen people kind of just, they're like, I don't, we're not looking that far ahead. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you there's the Republican national community or Democrat. I'm sure they're thinking, you know what? 2024, we're, we're already thinking down the line of who we want. Because you can already hear Ramleys of, I don't know if I want Kamala to be the Democrat. We got to find someone else. Sure. Like Kamala, ugh. Sure. You never know who's going to win. Nobody would have predict, predicted Barack Obama a couple of years before he became president. I mean, it was that thing where you never know who's going to win or what, how it's going to shake out for sure. You know, some people just bomb on stage. Some people do really well. You, you never know. But if the party is not thinking ahead, you're like, okay, so if you ask most libertarians in the party, you ask them what's going to happen. And they're like, oh, well, we're trying to get 5%, you know, for, for matching or whatever. You're like, okay. And if that doesn't happen, Let's say 2020 happens, irrespective of how well Dave does, you're going to have so many mail-in ballots, so many drop boxes, so many things. Everyone's trying to facilitate every registered voter possibly voting. When that happens and you're just mathematically drowned out and you don't get 5%, then what? What's the plan then? And if the answer is something, something underpants liberty, you know, that's, that's not going to be a great selling point. And because again... I, I've had this conversation with people back in 2020 when I was asking them who they were going to vote for and what party they were looking at. Nobody really had an answer of why should I vote for Joe Jorgen except for it's not the duopoly, you know? Okay, cool. It's a triopoly. Yay. Yeah. Justin Amash said that. I think when he was on MSNBC, I believe in one interview where he said, yeah, I, I want like something along the lines of I want to be the third option for people. Okay. Well, that's, what does that do for me? Third option. Okay. Well, these other two options are pretty much going to be the only ones that will have a, a chance of winning. So what's the third? Like, yeah, it's, I, I touched on this before we started recording, but it, it's a, it's a really bad argument to make. And, and unfortunately libertarians are really good at making bad arguments, um, intellectually sound, but sometimes just bad arguments, because if your argument is that we're not part of the duopoly, the president's a little bit different, but any other office you're like, yeah, but you still have to work with the duopoly. Like if you win a seat in the state house, you have to work with a majority party or a or to a coalition to make a majority coalition in order to get committee assignments, in order to you know have any sway, in order to do anything, in order to pick the the, the house, the house or the house speaker, the senate speaker. I mean, if you if a Republican was or sorry, if a libertarian was to win a senate seat, are they voting for Mitch McConnell or are they voting for the Democrat? If they win a House seat, are they voting for Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy? So it's that issue like, who are you going to caucus with? You can't just tell me, oh, I'm going to be, the th don't vote for the duopoly, because they, unless they take a majority, you still have to work with the duopoly. You're still going to caucus with them. So it's not really an answer. It's just this talking point that's not really, you know, thought about in the long term of what does that really mean? Oh, it means you're going to build a coalition government after you're elected without telling me who you're going to coalition with that's not a selling point for most people. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's interesting, but, um, no, <laughs> it, it's not like, it's not like how some countries in Europe have where it's not just, maybe there are two parties that kind of dominate, but there's definitely other parties that have seats. They have their say, they, they work with other parties or whatever, and they kind of have a coalition. They sort of work together and kind of do what they're going to do. In their country but here in america it's basically you're either a republican or a democrat and for the majority the vast majority of 
Americans, that's how they'll see it. They won't, if they see like other options, they'd just be like, well, why? And it, I know it's like a, a, a tired argument that libertarians hear, but when they, when they hear, well, I, I just be voting, wasting my vote away. A lot of people would think that because, well, if I, if I vote for the libertarian, even though I, I like, I'm a more of a Democrat, but I like what the libertarian is saying, the Republican might win. I don't like Republicans. Sure. And the easiest way around that is to not get into races necessarily that are going to be contentious like that. You yeah. know, why, why are you, if you, if you have a presidential ticket, that's going to be split by a few million votes. Why are you going to get in that race? Especially if you, if you're such a mathematically impossible to win, like you're a party that's never won a federal race. Why are you running in that? Why are you not running in races where it's majority Republican and you can eke out the Democrat? So you're on the ticket. So you're a valid voice on, you know, on the ballot. So you're actually covered by the press because they have to cover the opposition. Run in a race in, against the Democrats where no Republican runs and run in that race. And that way you're not being accused of stealing votes because there is no opposition party. I mean, that would be the way to do that. But instead, it's always like, we're going to run for president. And you're like, and then what? And then we're going to run for president. Right. And what's your plan after that? And then we're going to run for president. Like, oh, my, come on. I mean, so like I said earlier, like if they ran in my assembly seat, California assembly, they would be guaranteed in the general election. They would get news coverage just by virtue of being on the ballot. There are several seats across the state that are like that in California. There are several seats like that across the country. And that would be a great way to focus. Again, I'm not part of the LP. I can't tell them what to do. But I think that if you want to get away from that, you're just stealing votes from so-and-so, which is, it's a BS argument. Don't get me wrong. But people do think that way. You know, they really do think that my vote could sway. It's a with swing vote with the Kevin Costner. My vote could sway the election. Even though I live in a blue state, that's going to go completely the opposite direction. It's like my vote could swing the election. So I can't throw it away, yeah. you know? Convince people in California to not vote for the Republican. Holy, holy your state's not going to go red anyways. Why don't you give another voice? Why don't you give a finger to the, to the Republican Party that doesn't do anything for you here? You know, run in, the, in, in those areas where there isn't that third party opposition thing. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's uh, fun to talk about, but. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, whatever happens uh, is going to happen, obviously. And, you know, it, if Dave does decide to run or if you know it, all that happens then you know good luck and i hope it works out however whatever that looks like uh if you are able to sway more people to the quote liberty message or whatever then i would applaud you and i'd be i'm i'm happy for you that 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 happens and and all that um what that means for the long term who knows and how it's going to change people's minds i don't know but you know, I, I think that's definitely something that they're going to have to think about because if, and like I said earlier, like Dave, in my opinion, is quite possibly definitely in the top of messengers for the, for the, for the, like the Liberty movement or whatever you want to call it. But then once he's out, then what, like who, who's, who's the next person that's co to come up, you know? So that's, that's again, thinking about the future is something that they have to Right. Kind of, I, yeah. I wouldn't even worry so much about who's the next person. I would worry about what their, what their plan is because if the, if the, so the Mises caucus, let's assume they take over the party at the end of May. Awesome. Let's say that uh, Angela McArdle becomes chair, which I hope she does. She's a great person. I, I like her a lot. Uh, and the, and the Mises caucus does run somebody like Smith or Spike Cohen or whomever. 
the question shouldn't be who's the next messenger after them necessarily. The question should be how can they effectively move the needle towards liberty? I don't care about the Libertarian Party. I don't care what their vote threshold is. I don't care what their donor status is. I care about how much does this country or how much does my state move towards liberty? And that's, I think, what needs to be the focus instead of how much fundraising do we have? How many paid yeah. how many paid positions can we have in our party or our caucus or whatever? You know, it's how many people are we moving towards these things in the aggregate? And if they have an answer for that, awesome. I hope they figure it out. They have two years until the presidential line. Um, if any if any libertarian has answers, I would love to hear them because again, Libertarian Party abandoned my state. 300, what is it? 320 million people in America, 40 million of them are in California. More people live in my, if my county was its own state, we would be the 25th most populous state. Like nobody's running. So if they have an answer for that or how to solve that, then awesome. I, I hope they do. I hope they figure it out and I wish them all the best. But until they can answer questions like mine, questions like yours, questions like your average voters, doesn't seem like it's very utilitarian, you know, or very, had much utility. Oh, we don't want to use utilitarian there. Have, have much utility. Yeah. I mean, if, and if the Mises caucus does take control, then use that power because apparently power is like this evil word that they don't like. You, <laughs> you, like that's the whole point. You're taking over a party. Then what you gotta have, you gotta take power. You gotta do something within that party to maybe try and help with the Republican party. And I don't know. It's, 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 it's whatever, you know, it's all this, Blah, you know what I mean? And, and look, you you said it in in your video that you're talking about that we started here with this uh, this episode, and I mean for the most part, it's it's probably true. And you said and you kind of also said it a little bit as well, where you said the LP is a party that's been around for over half a century, and the marketplace of ideas seems to have soundly rejected them. The marketplace of ideas isn't that something that I hear a lot of people You know, in the market. We get the marketplace of ideas. If, if, if we could just he, let them hear our ideas, then they would just be like, oh, wow, I never even knew. Well, and I know like the party is just one part of it, but that's a lot of people did that. All they know about libertarians is you, the libertarian you, party. Right. You, the, the word libertarian is synonymous with the libertarian party. People assume when I say I'm, you know, I, I call, I say I'm quasi libertarian because I'm not a doctrinaire libertarian. I have a lot of wrong think ideas, even within that ideology. But people, I have a taxation and theft flag behind me. People see that on on TikTok or whatever, and they immediately run in to start screaming about my roads or my infrastructure or my police or whatever. And you know that that's that thing where there is this immediate visceral opposition to sort of a you know, foundational belief within, within, within Liberty, you know, the idea of there's no such thing as a free lunch and all of that, like people viscerally disagree with that, you know, and, and you don't see a ton of people coming to defense of those basic, basic ideas, the basic premises behind these things. And so if the marketplace of ideas largely has resounded Liberty or sorry, resoundly uh, rebuffed Liberty, what do we do to fix that? You know, I, I think that's why a lot of people get disenfranchised with the Libertarian Party, because the party is worried about being a political party. They're worried about power within the party structure, how they work within the government structure, how they work within elections and all of that. And that takes away to, to many people from messaging about liberty, because when you start talking about, well, how do we get to 5% and stop talking about, well, how do we stop these mask mandates? Not that you can't do two things at once, but you're going to have to prioritize. You know, a lot of people are going to side with liberty those who are inclined towards liberty, at least, then side with, you know, intra-fighting, side with nonsense, 
you know, talking about Robert's Rules of Order to argue about arguing about Robert's Rules of Order, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I think I think there's a chance there. I think we have people who can speak to stuff. But yeah, like I said, like you like you brought up the marketplace of I said the marketplace of ideas has seemingly rejected liberty. That needs to be the biggest push of how do we fix that? You know, I put this up contentiously because you know, I actually just needed a spot to fill my wall. That's not true. I think it just fit and I needed something there. But yeah, taxation is theft because it's it's one of those statements that just gets under people's skin. And you can just have a conversation like, well, hold on. Why do you think it's not? Well, hold on. Let's discuss this. Let's get into it. Let's get into the details behind it. Why do you think that? And you can try to have conversations with good faith actors, obviously. But if that triggers a ton of people, what does that tell you about what the masses think about something? You know? It, it's it's a tough battle. It's a tough, uh, you know, road to sow. Yeah. And um, talking about that with uh, the marketplace of ideas and how liberty has been uh, soundly rejected, just look what happened with, like you're saying, with the masks and the vaccines. That were everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people were basically taking what the the press was telling them what the CDC and all the Fauci's of the world were telling them. And there were libertarians and we, we named them that were really good on this saying, why this is dumb. Why are you doing this? But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter because still people, they, a lot of people got the vaccine because they needed to keep working because they had no choice or, uh, you know, they, they had to get the vaccine because well, you know, my family's doing it and I, I feel obligated to. And I know there's some people that didn't do it and they got a lot of tension with their families and all that stuff. And that's really unfortunate. But basically what I'm trying to say is that a lot of people just kind of took that and they weren't thinking about liberty. They were just thinking about, well, if they say I have to get the vaccine to do the things that I need to do or that I want to do, then I'm going to do it. And, you know, another... Um, Another line that I, I'll say about that, uh, that I heard from one Pete Quinones recently, he said, some people's idea of freedom is getting that third shot. And when I heard that, I was like, man, that really hit the nail on the head because a lot of people felt that way, not just on the left. It was also on the right too. There are some people on the right who are like, I gotta get the vaccine. I have to. It's the only way we'll go back to normal. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean that, that that's a that's a fundamental problem where you have people who have a different, completely different definition of what liberty or freedom means. I mean, you talk to people in Europe and they think freedom means freedom to pursue my own hobbies and interests. It's freedom from having to pay for my medical bills. It's freedom from having to pay for school. It's freedom from having to work full time. That's what they think freedom means. It's sort of freedom of per, from personal responsibility. So when you start throwing words around like liberty and freedom, you have to baseline it. What does that mean? You get it and you get into problems where if you try to appeal to too many people, you end up like Joe Jorgensen's media team telling everybody they need to be anti-racist, you know, which is just completely off point for the, for the Libertarian Party. So it ends up being that problem of some people don't care about esoteric liberty. Some people don't care about, well, a perfect government would have there'd be no government and everything would be you know, anarcho-capistan or whatever, and it'd all be awesome. Most people can't see that. You know, most people can't see six months down the road, two years down the road, they're worried about if they're going to make their bills right now. And I think if I had to say one thing to anybody in the Liberty world is that stop screaming at everybody that they're statists. You know, I mean, that, that's the big yeah. thing is that everybody came from it, came to Liberty from somewhere. 
and people do make bad decisions. I know plenty of people who were pushing for you know the mask mandates and the vaxes and everything else, and then they finally got the, the data and they're like, oh, maybe I was just blind to it. Cool. It's a redemption story. Maybe we can bring them in or whatever. But you know, I, I don't know. I think there's so many people that that can be reached with what a libertarian might think is is liberty. You know, what somebody like a Thomas Massey would think is freedom. You know, somebody who might be receptive to the brilliant arguments and economics in one lesson. I mean, that book's from what 1947. Be nice if people actually read it. Be great. You know, uh, I sort of have this joke about the Mises Caucus. I wish more people would read Human Action and not just use it as a hashtag. But um, you know, it's that thing where we have in the liberty world, liberty adjacent world, there's a lot of great ideas, a lot of great points, a lot of great paths towards freedom. And I'd like to see more people work together and be like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party. Awesome for you. That's great. I, I wish Angela the best. I hope she wins his chair. I, I, I would actually consider to go into Reno if it wasn't an eight-hour drive because it'd be fun to go. But I wish him the best. It's not for me. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, crap. I'm gonna crap all over it from the outside. I'm like, hey, this is what I think the problems are. You should fix these things, and they can take it or leave it. You want to be an agorist? Awesome. Go do that. You want to be a homesteader? Cool. Go do that. How can you bring more liberty into the world? Awesome. And I think once they, once the people figure out that, figure out sort of the big tent outside of the party, we'll all be better off, and it'd be awesome. But you know, that's just me. Yep, and it's uh, a good way to end it. Uh, so. Josh, let everyone know where they can find you and your work, and uh, we'll get out of here. So I use a username, Hourly Struggle. Uh, I'm on most of the social medias. I don't use all of them, but I'm mostly on TikTok, Patreon, and Twitter to a point, and then YouTube. If you don't like YouTube, my videos auto-sync to Rumble and Odyssey as well. And that's about it. All right. Well, thanks again, Josh, for coming on. And thank you for watching and listening. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Have a good one. Oh, 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 oh,